Hi friends, I'm Tanya Luna, psychology researcher and educator. And I'm Brian Luna. I was a Boy Scout for about 45 minutes. And this is Talk Psych to Me, a show where we take research out of the lab and into the street. Let's get into it. Brian Luna. Yes, ma'am. Do you know what today is? Today is the 25th. No, it hasn't been the 25th in a while. No, no, 27th, sorry. (laughs) More importantly, it's our 13th episode of Toxic to Me. And since the number 13 has such a bad reputation in Mm -hmm. our culture for being unlucky, and frankly, because I've been kind of obsessing about the idea of luck and thinking about my own luck for a while lately with everything that's going on in the world, I thought today we could talk about the psychology of luck. Oh, all right. Well, let's roll the dice and test our luck. What does that mean? It means that you don't feel confident that we're going to be able to pull this off? I don't think we're going to be able to do this one. I guess we'll see. I guess so. Okay, so I'm going to start with a deceptively... (laughs) I'm going to start with a a question that looks simple on the surface, but... I actually think is kind of complicated. All right. What is luck? What is luck? What is luck? Wait, I'm asking. No, I'm asking. What is luck? Wait, you're asking me? Yes. What do you think luck is? I'm just biting my time. Okay. (laughs) Did you say biting my time? Biting. Okay. Not biting. Okay. I just picture you like chewing on a clock. (laughs) Okay. I think it's like a turn of good fortune by the by the universe or, you know, however you want to, the fates at hand. Okay. Yeah, that's exactly how we define it in psychology. You liar. You use that voice, too. <laughs> the fates at hand. The fates at hand. <laughs> okay, so it actually, there is no single definition of luck. Pretty much everyone is confused about what luck is. I wanted to share some definitions from the field of philosophy and psychology. Hey, I got it. Since you're always throwing the questions, I got a question for you. Yeah. What superhero's powers are based on luck? Ooh, now all of a sudden tables are turned. And now all of a sudden I'm not so smart. Ooh, I'm tiny Luna. Okay, I don't answer, have the answer is mm-hmm. every superhero because no one chooses to be <sighs> a superhero. We Here we go. No, no, no. I nice win. try. Nice try. I One win. superhero is based. Green can't. Lantern. <sighs> Sorry, y'all. I failed as a husband. If that's, <laughs> I failed as a nerd and as a husband. Who, what They're, superhero is based Domino. on Domino. Oh, Domino. Domino. I have no idea who yes, Domino is. Yes, you do. Is. She was that a Deadpool 2. That is a board 2. game. No, no, no. She's, she has a little patch over her eye. She she Everything kind of always falls in her favor. So she's um, lucky. Her superpower is that she's lucky. Her superpower is lucky. And no one understands it. And no one believes it. It's Very pretty cool. It's pretty cool. She can't like do it on her own. It has to, something happens like someone fires at her point blank and the gun jams. And she's like <laughs> shrugging her shoulders like, that's me. <laughs> and then she punches I'm so them sorry, but this yeah. sounds like a really lame superhero. Because That's insane. She has she's, to just no. sit there and be like, I hope this works out. No, if, if you want a visual on what I'm talking about, ladies and gentlemen, Deadpool 2, the sequel to Deadpool, is, is out there streaming right now. People have plenty of time. If you haven't seen it, watch it. Ryan Reynolds is awesome. And the woman who plays Domino is amazing. So, yeah. Okay. Well, I just want to turn tails on you. All of a sudden, you don't have no answers. And I'm just like, you're like, ooh, you should have seen her face, y'all. Oh, my God. The little Miss Smarty Pants. And then all of a sudden, she had no answers. And she was like, um. Oh, I forgot to wear my Smarty Pants. I know, That's what you, happened. Well, when, we're, when you're working I'm from home. i wearing my quarantine pants. <laughs> the same pants I've worn for the past three weeks. All right. So, okay. So, let's get started by just looking at luck from the perspective of statistics. Okay. Okay. So, we can describe luck as a statistical deviation from average brought about by chance. But just because something is rare and it happens by chance, it doesn't mean that it's lucky or unlucky. Like if you have an extra tooth or something. What? 
Okay. I mean, it's random, but it's not necessarily <laughs> lucky like, or unlucky. I mean, I guess yeah. it depends on which tooth. Well, if you love, like... I guess if you have, like, an extra tooth right well, up front, maybe that's unlucky. Or maybe it is lucky, like, well, if you love, like, jawbreakers. Right. And you have a, another little... Or if you if you bite your nails. Right, then, then it's you're, great to have an extra efficient. tooth. Yeah. Or if you like to, like, <laughs> gnaw wood. <laughs> <laughs> but, so, but in many cases, it would just be random. And just because it's chance and just because it's statistically unlikely doesn't necessarily mean that it's lucky. Or you can say, like the philosopher Daniel Statman does, good luck is when something good happens to a person that's outside of their control. So it sounds kind of like domino. Okay. Well, his name is Daniel Statman, and he studies luck. Get oh, the, yeah. Get the, that's cool. I didn't even think about free. that. Come on. That's nominal on. determinism right there. Or either that or his name was like um, Periwinkle, and he was like, I'm going to change it to Statman. You know, this is, this is what I do. Stats all the yeah, time. maybe that's his gamer tag. So cool. So I think that's a potential definition. The only issue is that many people think they can control their luck. And we're going to talk about that today, whether that is true or not. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So if you can control your luck, then Statman might have his stats wrong. <laughs> My favorite yes. definition of luck actually comes from philosophers Pritchard and Smith. And they write, if an outcome is lucky then it's an outcome which occurs in the actual world, but which does not occur in world. <laughs> Your facial expression. <laughs> I'm trying. Hey, I'm trying to stay hang with Prichard and Smith or whatever it is. I'm trying to, I'm okay, trying to okay, bite this apple me. and it's really, really hard. Stay with me. All we right. could talk about Domino. We All could right. talk hey. about Prichard and Smith. All right, let's go okay, Prichard so and here, Smith. So here's how their, their <laughs> definition works. There is the real world Mm -hmm. and there are imagined worlds. Yeah. When we believe that an outcome is lucky, it's when the thing that happened in the actual world doesn't occur in other similar worlds that we can imagine. (laughs) Okay. So to bring psychology back into it, and maybe this will make a little bit more sense, is calling an occurrence lucky is the result of a concept called counterfactual thinking. Okay. So in essence, it means comparing what really happened to imaginary alternatives that could have just as easily happened. So like uh, like branches or, or like uh, potential timelines. So um, basically in our brains, the way we see our lives isn't based on our reality. It's by constantly comparing our reality to a potential other reality. And oh. the only times we can feel <laughs> lucky is when we create that contrast between what happened and what could have happened. I feel like you put something in my water. <laughs> I feel like I feel like everything. I feel well. Think about it. Can, like I'm watching me watching you. Can you think of an example where you had that counterfactual? Absolutely thinking? not. <laughs> From what you just described, hell no, hell no. Well, that's your and if job. I could, <laughs> then I'd be high AF right now. Your what? job on the show is okay. to simplify. <laughs> okay. The science, right? I don't know that I can simplify what Prichard and Smith were smoking and <laughs> tweaking. And they were like, yo, 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 hold on. I got, let's put, this is our study. So like this world isn't this world. And then luck is what happens in another world. And we just bring it in that world. Let's write it down, put our names on it. All right. Let me give you an example. Have you ever been in a situation where you were in a near accident? Uh, Probably. Yeah. Like where you almost like think think about that time where you and Zach, your nephew, got into that car accident. All right, we're going to talk about that live. <laughs> sure, okay, yes. So tell us a little bit about that. Situation. Well, a little bit about that was yeah. uh, I was driving my young nephew. Yeah. Um, uh, How I, old I was, was he? 
I think it's important, more important, to talk about how old I was. Okay, how old were you? I was about 17, which means I wasn't all there. And I was kind of a little bit of a daredevil. So I was in charge of uh, my nephew, uh, Zach, who was about a year old at the time. And where was he sitting? He was sitting. Okay. Okay. Before, look. <laughs> Just give us the facts. He was in the front seat with me. He was in the front seat. He was in the front seat. I had the seatbelt on. I didn't know anything about car seats. So (laughs) he was an infant. So he was maybe he was a little older. However old he was, he didn't need his head held. You know what I mean? I don't, so, I don't know, parents out there, uh, he was old enough to hold up his own head, but he wasn't old enough for, like, pants. And what happened? You know what I mean? So, like, he was old enough to go out in just a t-shirt and a diaper or whatever he wore, and then, but he he was old enough to hold up his head. Okay. So, yeah, he should have been in a car seat. That's that's the thing. But I was like, I'm going to take him out, uh, because he, at the time, he loved Root 44 cherry lime slushes from from Sonic. Another problematic element of the story. Yes. Yes. I will give you that. But he also loved their Sonic's tater tots. So I wanted to... My sister was like, you know, uh, uh, Jimmy, can you watch him while I take a shower? And, and she again, was, for those of you who aren't familiar, for some reason, Brian's family calls him Jimmy. <laughs> yes, Jimmy. But I decided to take him for a ride. And the roads were... It had been rainy. And, you know, in the morning, it's all humid in, in San Antonio. So blah, blah, blah. So there's this windy street that leads up to this little amusement park called the Castle. And I was taking him down there. And he loves turning fast. Like, he loves it. So what am I going to do? I'm going to be the bad uncle and not do it? So I strapped him in. We're driving. And every time I step on the gas, he's, like, laughing and giggling and everything. And I was taking the turns. Maybe, maybe I I could have gone a little slower in hindsight, you know, being 2020. Yeah. Um, well, I spun out. I spun it. I did about uh, a two. I, I stopped counting after the second 360. Oh. And I was spinning in the middle of the street. And the curb stopped us from. <laughs> otherwise, we'd still be spinning. We'd still be spinning. Um, <laughs> and and we hit. Oh, my god! And I was like, oh, my. I was pale as a ghost, sweating like. You have no idea. And I look over and Zach is laughing like crazy. <laughs> and so, hey, I'm the good uncle. And now he's a firefighter. And now he's a firefighter and a little bit of a daredevil. Okay. So yes. in that moment where you mm-hmm. looked down at him, you saw him laughing. Did a series of imagined <laughs> yes. near universes yes. emerge in your mind? Yes. What were some of those near universes? We could have flipped easily. I right. mean, uh, that curb could have not hit us. It could have flipped us. Or... An oncoming car could have come in and really. So that's saved. counterfactual thinking. Counterfactual thinking happens when we, in the moment, make sense of an event based on how that event differs from what else could have happened. We only feel lucky or unlucky. Oh, I see. By contrast, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. I remember when I was a kid and we were at the Battle of Flowers Parade. My mom and my aunt and my uh, cousin, and there was a sniper up top, and I remember how. We had to hide under a blanket and all that stuff. I don't know how many hours, but, uh, you know, I, I just remember my parents saying how lucky we were. My mom was like, we're so lucky. We're so, and she was so visibly shaken. And my dad was like, oh, my God, we're so lucky. We're so, and I didn't understand at the time, like, for me, luck meant, like, you know, you pull a lever and coins come out. Or, right. you know, you, you get, you find an extra Reese's in your two-pack of Reese's, you know, or something like that. To me, that was lucky. <laughs> Did that ever happen? Uh, no, <laughs> but I still held out. Uh, but you know, right? But what you're bringing up is so important because what research shows is that when people think about luck, more often than not, it's 
in moments where something bad happens mm. and we contrast it with something worse that could have happened. So, for mm. example, psychologist Ronnie Jenna Fullman found that survivors of extreme negative events, so this could be like natural disasters, sexual assault, often consider themselves lucky because they can imagine the situation turning out to be much worse. Mm-hmm. Similarly, there was a study by researchers Tegan and Jensen who interviewed 85 Norwegian tourists two years after they survived the tsunami disaster in Mm. Southeast Asia. And 95% of them said that they had been lucky to survive versus focusing on the fact that they were unlucky for being at the wrong place at the wrong time. And the closer our real reality is to the imagined reality, the more likely we are to Mm. explain it as luck. I guess it all has to happen after trauma or some kind of like... I mean, it could be minor too. So, for example, today you taught me the riveting game that you came up with recently, hashtag quarantine life, of (laughs) toss the baby carrot in the tree stump. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you tell us the rules of this game? Yeah, you have to toss a carrot into a tree stump. (laughs) (laughs) I I shouldn't have to write that down. And just so people don't think that we're like gratuitously throwing out food, you're feeding the animals. I I feed deer. I I feed our our rabbits Or or rabbits or whatever. Not Uh, too much, mind you, because our vet has told us that it can impact their reproductive cycles. Exactly. And we don't want to overfeed and we don't want them to become dependent on us. Exactly. So this is not a... But I do that. Public service announcement right. for feeding. A hundred percent. Wild I animals. Do, but I do it. <laughs> um, so basically you get these little baby carrots, and no, uh, I which I learned recently aren't actual baby carrots. Oh, yeah. This is... They're just... They're just carrots shaved down to yeah. baby size. What do they do with the extra carrots? I'm carrot? so uncomfortable with this. Anyway. Anyway. So <laughs> I guess... Well, I've seen carrot shavings too. So maybe that's okay, what... Okay. I hope yeah. so. So, what I do you mean you so. hope so? Well, I hope they're not like We're just lucky discarding. if we see baby carrot. Okay, so, uh, and, and uh, there's a tree stump, an old tree stump uh, across our little driveway there. And so, if you sit outside our, our door, you can throw the carrots into where the, the deer hang out and try to get them inside the little the uh, hole in the tree the stump. The hole in the tree stump. So, what counterfactual thinking research would indicate is that if you got nowhere near the hole in the tree stump, mm-hmm. like me, you wouldn't think about it in terms of luck. But if you got really, really, really close, like mm-hmm. right on the edge, and it didn't go in, suddenly counterfactual thinking would kick in, and you would go, oh, that was so unlucky. Yeah, that's what I was doing. Yeah, I was getting them. So the closer reality is to an imagined alternative, the more likely we are to think about luck. Like mm-hmm. if you play the lottery and your one winning ticket off. is one number yeah. off, all of a sudden you're going to be like, oh, that's so unlucky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? But it's just well, the closeness you, of it. I mean, how often do you hear that when you're in Vegas? And the yeah. fascinating thing about all of this is that the feeling of luck really only kicks in with the contrast. So I'm curious, with everything that's going on now with COVID-19, we're constantly surrounded by those realities and counter-realities, sure. right? The imagined things that could happen and the things that are actually happening. And I'm curious, in the midst of all of this, do you think people are feeling more or less lucky? I mean, it, it really does depend geographically on where you are. Right. Uh, you know, if right. you're... If you're <laughs> yeah, if I'm in a state where, yeah. or in a country where I'm not seeing the impact, then I'm probably but, but, uh, but lucky. But specifically, even in, in, in New York, like uh, in certain parts of Manhattan are hit a lot worse. Queens is really bad right now. So it's a contrasting. People are probably looking at the numbers and deciding on their luck level based on or, the numbers. Or even, even right now, one of the things is people feeling sick right now, but not feeling sick enough to be in the hospital. And For you're me, thinking then people would feel lucky. People like, I, I'm one of the lucky ones. I didn't need a ventilator, a respirator, you know, right. and, you know, my heart goes out to, to everyone who's going through this. And 
the the kind of like trauma this is creating in everybody just going outside of the grocery store or you know uh seeing people on the street or or reading about constant floods of news and thinking like oh today going to bed every night going i'm lucky right. like i'm not feeling any symptoms i'm lucky today right but tomorrow i got to roll the dice and again. it's that counterfactual we're yeah. constantly living yeah. in our current reality and comparing it to all the possible realities so the thing that i've been feeling really overwhelmed by lately is this feeling of what I'm thinking of as like luck guilt. Mm-hmm. Because like you said, I'm going to bed every night, waking up every morning, just overwhelmed by this feeling of luck. Because even though, of course, we're worried about many of the things that so many people are worried about, our health, our financial security, our emotional state, there's so many people right now that have it so much worse. Mm-hmm. Right now and, and all the time, right? We freaking yeah. live in the U.S. So. Right. I think of this as sort of like privilege guilt, which to me, psychologically speaking, feels like a mild version of survivor's guilt. Sure. And I never really thought about it that way until now, even though as someone who grew up really poor, I've often struggled with this feeling of like class guilt, this contrast of how I grew up and the relative security that we've been feeling. So to share a little bit about the concept of survivor's guilt, which I actually think has a lot to do with luck and the feeling of being lucky. Mm -hmm. Here's an example from a study by researchers Dalglish, Joseph, and Ewell. They assessed survivors of a ship capsizing that killed 193 of 459 passengers. And they found that 60% of them felt guilt, either because they felt like they didn't take enough action to help others or just feeling guilty for being alive. And survivor's guilt can show up in so many different ways. For example, I remember you telling me about Elvis Mm -hmm. And the constant guilt that he lived with because of his twin that died before he was even born. He thought that maybe he absorbed his twin's energy or strength, which was why he was so successful. I don't remember reading that specifically, but I do remember him talking to his brother, even into his his latter years. Yeah, that he still carried that guilt that he was a there were two of them and, and then not he only died. did he live he became he Elvis. Became one of the greatest celebrities that's ever lived so i think the pressure was you have to live the life for two like you have to live mm. your life to the fullest and your brothers because he wasn't able to carry on and this can show up i mean that's such a fascinating way that it showed up but this shows up in all forms of privilege that we feel this feeling of luck and therefore guilt Mm -hmm. what do you think the function of that is like do you think that it's disordered thinking or is there an adaptive element to it i think there's it's adaptive because i I do think that it's just a way of coping and what do you think is good about that feeling of guilt i think it allows you to kind of like take stock because look in any kind of trauma whether it be physical or mental there's like a blockade that happens in your life and you have to get through it one way or another. You know, either that means talking through it, you have to move. You have to address it in You some have to way. address it. I think of it as twofold. If we do think of survivor's guilt, whether it's what I'm thinking of now is COVID guilt or white guilt or class guilt, mm-hmm. all of those feelings. So on the one hand, I do think you're right. It makes you pause and reflect and learn, become more self-aware. My coworker Leanne just reminded me of this great quote by Carl Jung, who famously said, what you resist persists. Hmm. And the longer we ignore it, the more it grows in size. So if we have that guilt, it's almost like it's knocking in our brain to say, hey, pay attention. You've got something to learn from here. You've got something to become more aware of. And I think the other piece of it is it pushes us to have an orientation toward others. 
So for myself, part of it is just acknowledging it. And then the other piece that is more significant is reorienting my focus from myself to saying, how can I be of service to others? I think that's kind of the, the point of that feeling. Sure. Okay, so getting back to luck psychology, uh-huh. I think what makes it really complicated is that you can think of something that happened as lucky, or you can think of someone as lucky. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right? Which is pretty different. Do you know any lucky people? Wow. Probably. None come to mind like who, right now. Like I, No I can't, one comes to mind for I, you? I, I, you, know, you? It could be celebrities. It could be fictional characters. I mean, I, aside from the superhero Domino. Yeah, I just, I mean, there, you know, there were always someone, there's always someone you grew up with that kind of got all the breaks. You know what I mean? Like that just kind of coasted through, didn't really what have any What was their name major... usually? No, no, no. I'm not going to name <laughs> names because it just sounds, it sounds bitter. And so the guilt is also on the other side. If you look at someone as lucky and you look at someone like, oh man, that that sometimes you don't recognize all the hard work. Like right. um, I remember uh, recently Kevin Hart was talking uh, on a podcast and well, actually this was a, an older interview that he had, but he was talking about the struggles he has that people look at him and think, oh, he's so lucky. Of course he's in movies and stuff, but they don't realize, like, he came from nothing. I mean, his dad was, you know, a a drug addict recovering, and, you know, his mom was a single mom, and she raised him and, and his family, and he had all these struggles with being severely underprivileged and he just worked his ass off. So it's funny that you say that psychologist Fritz Heider developed what's known as attribution theory. This was back in the 1950s and it's based on his observation around something that he referred to as the hydraulic relationship between internal and external causes. Hmm. So for example, let's say that I tell you that I have a friend who has been investing in real estate and is just making so much money, mm-hmm. and this person is really dumb. <laughs> what would you think their level is? I know that person is? too. <laughs> you know who I'm talking about. You do, they're not listening to this, I'll tell you that. <laughs> How do you perceive their luck level? Very lucky. Okay, very. and let's say that I have this other friend, brilliant, hardworking, mm-hmm. also making tons of money in real estate. How do you perceive their luck level? Uh, hardworking. Right. So this is what he found, that when we think that someone didn't contribute to their own success, we see them as lucky. Has anyone ever told you that you're lucky? I, You know, that's a good question. Because yes. Heider would tell you that that's a big old slap in the face. Slap in the face. Oh, I get that. You know, I remember when I used to go back home and see some of my old friends, they'd be like, man, you're so lucky. You know, you live in New York and you, and how you did know, that feel? You did, it, I was like, hey, I didn't win a lottery. Like I was out here, you know, eating grass for dinner sometimes and eating I don't sleep. I feel like you ate grass for dinner. Okay. I didn't eat grass for dinner because I wouldn't eat greens, but I didn't have, I used to have sleep for dinner. Hell yeah. I used to sleep have sleep for, for dinner, dinner like three oh. or four nights a week. And, and, you know, but, but it was insulting to me because it, they made it seem like I, you know, I got it. I got accepted into a school here. And then all of a sudden it was just like, shing, just coins, gold coins falling from the sky. And I'm like Scrooge McDuck swimming in them. It sounds painful. Frankly. It sounds very painful. And it was insulting because no one asked about the struggle. No one asked about how hard it was, like, you know, not having enough money to call home, you know, to talk to my dad uh, on the calling card, like not having any money for that and being so isolated. They don't talk about any of that. I mean, what strikes me about this conversation is just the extent to which we are living these parallel realities all the time, especially with what's going on with COVID-19. But just Mm -hmm. in general, we're forced to sort of see our own lives in constant contrast to what our lives could have been, both in terms of who has it better than us and who has it worse than us. Sure, sure. I think you think I'm lucky. 
well, you beat me in pool today, and that was <laughs> super lucky. And then right after that, you that beat was me, lucky. And then you beat me in foosball right after that. That was not lucky. That was both of that those. Was I would say skills. you have four leaf clovers coming out your eyes because I think you often tell me that I'm lucky. You have that whole perception of me as like walking out. You know, back when walking outside was allowed, walking outside <laughs> and like not looking in either oh direction God. and not getting hit look. by traffic. You do and... not even, y'all, she doesn't even, when she crosses <laughs> a street, it's like Mr. Magoo. She's just like, if you ever see that commercial, <laughs> that cartoon, when the guy's walking through the construction site and these these things are falling all around him, he's just walking across the beams and the beam spins around and another beam like falls. And yeah, and he's just, Tanya walks across the street. She always, and this is without fail, will look the wrong way before <laughs> okay, she steps on the I'm street. Okay, but also I'm dyslexic. Is that lucky? <laughs> no. It, what's lucky is that you're not street pizza. That's what's lucky. <laughs> not the fact that you were dealt this hand of dyslexia. Th- dyslexia. Dyslexia. <laughs> now who's dyslexic? D- dyslexia is a broken Amazon component. But uh, no, no, no. So, so yeah, I think you're very, very lucky that... That I survived. And that you found someone so great to take care of you. <laughs> and like, this to is help l- me cross you sitting across, this is luck. No, but I also, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do think you're lucky. But going I think back- that's mildly insulting. <laughs> no, going- I've crossed so many streets. And without I, me? And I made it to the other side. And guess how many years I was crossing streets without you? And guess how many streets I cross? And that is luck. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I rest my case. Okay. Your Honor, that's all. No, no, but really quick. I think everybody, especially actors. Now, this is all of my actor friends out there, and you know who I'm talking to. There's always a, a time when someone comes on TV or, or, or makes it into the big screen or, or like career takes off. And you, we're, everyone's just kind of like... What the actual shit is this about? Because oftentimes we don't see the most talented people on TV. We see the the ones that are on TV. That's just, you know, it's just the way it is. There's thousands, hundreds of thousands of actors uh, and, and actresses and such that have just not had their opportunity. So we look at that and we're just like, oh, these lucky mothers, you know. But the, when you say lucky, that's not what we mean. We, You know, but we're like gritting our teeth. These lucky, these lucky mothers. I think it sounds like it is what you mean, right? Yeah. Because... Attribution research or attribution theory shows us that when we doubt someone's ability or when we doubt someone's effort, Mm -hmm. we describe any positive thing that happens to them as luck. Okay, so before we move on from this topic of luck perception, do you think that there is such a thing as luck or being lucky in reality? Do you believe that some people are luckier than others, not in our minds, but in the real world? I think there are people that are more privileged but I don't think that What's the difference between luck and privilege? See, luck sounds like the universe is wink, wink, looking down at you and like, <laughs> ding! I picture that the fairy godmother like hitting you with your little thing and all this glitter comes out. What is she hitting you with? The stick. The, she's her, hitting you with a stick? Yeah. There's the, a fairy the, hitting you with a stick? The thing that she goes, she's flying around and she's like, ding! You don't know what I'm talking about. What are you saying? Like a bat? No, it's like a little thin stick and she's like, ding. Are you trying to say wand? Wand! <laughs> Why are you giving me shit? I I know you know what I'm talking about. A stick. Like, who's this abusive fairy? (laughs) Okay, I didn't read all the Harry Potter, all right? So I don't know about the wands. sounds like kind of magical thinking to you. If there is real luck out there, then it sucks. Because then that means the universe is like... Uh, hey, you're you're a d bag, but I'm still gonna well, let you. I'm not you... suggesting that someone out there, you Wait, know, depending you... on what your belief system is, uh-huh. I'm not for the purposes of this question. I'm not suggesting. I never said anything about fairy godmother. All I was saying is, <laughs> do you think some people, or tooth fairy, whatever, have more 
positive opportunities that are outside of the scope of their effort. I, that's what I call privilege. It, okay. It's like the, maybe there's some people out there that maybe have a little more opportunity or maybe... Or a lot more. Or a lot more. I, I was trying to be political about it. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Let's not but, be um, political. <laughs> okay. A lot more opportunity based on a lot of different things. <laughs> Okay, so there's this but, wild experiment conducted by physicists Alessandro Pluccino, Andrea Raspisada, and economist Alessio Biondo. They created this mathematical model that simulated how financial success evolved in a mock population during a work lifespan of ages 20 to 60. So these weren't real participants. This mm-hmm. was a mathematical model that okay. they created, almost like a game. Okay. So each mock participant was assigned an equal success level right at the beginning of the game of 10 units, but different levels of talent. So every what six was months... talent? Like what was the... It was like a score that they gave them. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So kind of like trying to imagine a world where everyone started from scratch, yeah. but with slightly different levels of talent. Talent being things like intelligence or skill. Right. But no but no race or ethnic background or, or like financial background. Not for background the purposes here. Because okay. what so they wanted to find out is what if everyone started equal? Everyone started equal. We're all like clones made in a factory. We get out Except and we're given... Except with some genetic differences. Right. So we're given either strength, intelligence... Yep. Things like that. Laser beams. S- laser beams. <laughs> Just trying to think logically. (laughs) So every six months, the participants, these mock participants, they had either something lucky or unlucky happen to them. Okay. And every lucky encounter doubled their score. And and they started with 10, 10 points. And then every unlucky encounter halved their score. And then they ran this over the course of what would be 40 years of someone's career. So what do you think at the end of this 40-year simulation, how did luck versus talent impact their wealth at the end? Oof. First of all, Dr. Biondi <laughs> sounds like he was playing God. That's so, exactly it. Like, yeah. basically, they were like, what if we could control the variables but, in the but same way? the name way? Dr. Biondi. Biondo. Uh, Biondo. Which is also kind of That cool, sounds... Right? Okay, from now on, y'all, I'm now Brian, Dr. Brian Biondo. You Dr. can't just Biondo. decide to be a doctor. What are you talking about? People get honorary degrees all the time. Yeah, but someone has to give you the honorary degree. Thank you. Thank you for my honorary degree. I appreciate <laughs> it. I will accept it. Dr. Okay, Biondo. so what do you think? Oh, I think by chance we're, we're more successful, right? Like, uh, they were the ones that were the richest or, you know, whatever. So two things they found. I mean, mm-hmm. they found lots of things, but for, for the purposes of the time, I'll summarize the two that I found most fascinating. Right. So the first interesting thing is that their results conform to what's known as the Pareto principle or the 80-20 rule. The 20 most successful participants had 44% of the total population success. In the meanwhile, about half the population had 10 units or less. And remember, they're just starting 40 yeah. years in the beginning, 40 years ago with 10 yeah. units. So this is pretty much actually the world's distribution of wealth. Actually, in reality, the numbers are even more skewed with less than 10 people owning as much wealth as the poorest half of the world. Right. So the simulation kind of recreated, even to a lesser degree, the distribution of wealth in our reality. The second thing they found related to luck versus talent is that in the simulation, participants who were most successful were at least average in talent. So you needed to be at least average. But average lucky people were more successful than talented but unlucky people. That makes sense. So That's luck, exactly what we're seeing now. Yeah, that's right. exactly what I'm talking about. So yeah. you don't need to be talented. I mean, if you're talented and lucky, fantastic. Fantastic. Great. Great. But So luck just might matter more than anything yeah. in our lives. And at the end of the day, even talent can be seen as a matter of luck. This is why we don't dig on royalty in Texas. <laughs> you know? I mean, this is exactly what I'm talking about. Because like... 
Talk about starting off with one foot up the golden goose's ass, right? Because like you, you're you're born into this family, and you're like, I just literally was born and fell <laughs> ass into jewels and gold and all kinds. That kind sounds of, painful. It's but even still, you have someone to take care of that pain because you're royalty. <laughs> but right? again, what I would encourage is to look beyond royalty and recognize the fact that even in our democracy, luck plays a major role. In 100%. who ends up at the top? How does yes. this idea make you feel? This is so un-American like in many ways. <laughs> I still, I still have. Tanya knows this is something that it's amused her since we we got together. Is I, I have, I have zero interest and respect for royalty. Yeah. In my life, I like. I actually. How do you I, feel? Would I despise them? Would you say I despise them? Um, yes. Okay. If you ever bump into a royal, you'll <laughs> go out of your way to be just at least a little bit rude. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say I put a little more yeehaw on that. And you sure. actually used to work in environments where you would yeah. like actually bump so into royalty. We used to, we used to, yeah. They, I can I tell which this? in and of itself is just bizarre. So I used to work in high end retail, and you gotta understand, like the the prince and princess that we deal with from this particular area, there were tons of like prince. you can fall and trip on a prince from where, where I'm talking about. And as soon as they they get there, like Brian, now when you when you see them, you can't look at them in the eye, you can't talk to them, you can't say anything. And you would hold like, private hours, right? Yeah, yeah. Like we'd open in. we'd open the store. And, and as a manager, they, they would tell me, like, Brian, okay, and when they come in, you only have to talk. You can only talk to this person. You can't address them, blah, blah, blah. And by all means, do not say, like. And what you, would you do? <laughs> open the door. I'd be like, hey, y'all, how you doing? Come on in. Look him straight in the eye. Yeah, look straight in the, dead in the eye. Are you kidding me? I'd look at him dead. Even so when we weren't talking, I'd be like. In grilling them in the eyes. Beyondo simulation, you would be like the mathematical equation trying to create a negative experience to reduce their luck. I don't know about negative. I think they all benefited from my attitude. So for myself personally, I find this simulation really humbling because in our culture, it's so easy to fall for the idea that we have total control over our success. Even the contrast that you're creating between royalty and what we have in the U.S., I think is exaggerated because if so much of the success that comes to us is Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, a result of luck versus effort or talent, Mm -hmm. and even talent is based on luck, then I think, you know, in our society, we're kind of told to be proud of our accomplishments and look down on people's failures. But this study reminds me how problematic that worldview is. And it makes me feel guilty again. Yeah. Because then I'm like... You should. You absolutely should. I can't take any credit for anything because I'm just a particle in this simulation that we're yeah. all in. And I got some good fortune. So, yes, you're very lucky. <laughs> so it makes me feel guilty. It makes me also feel grateful and also kind of curious because it makes me feel like, you know what? Not that much is within my control. Let me just stay curious about what's going to happen next. Yeah. So now, Brian Luna. Yes. I'm curious to hear if you think you're lucky. And to find out, I'd love to ask you some questions from Dark and Friedman's Belief in Good Luck Scale, or the Biggle. I've already done the Biggle. So you're going <laughs> to have to... the Biggles? Are, no, it's you're going to have to give me new questions because I know all the Biggles. I've, I've done it twice. <laughs> I had to actually go to summer school for one of the I Biggles. had a Biggle for breakfast. <laughs> So, see, you're lucky that you're cute and <laughs> you can say stuff like, I had a bagel for breakfast. And that's funny. And, and that, that gets a laugh. I mean, I actually do you, think you're, you think you're lucky with your, your humor? Do I think I'm lucky yeah. with my humor? Because you, you this make people laugh. This is what I'm telling laugh. you. I'm cur- as of this moment, I'm abdicating all responsibility <laughs> for any good thing that has ever happened to me or that I ever achieve. Okay, go, go back to me. Do I think I'm lucky? Yeah, yes, let's give I'm you the lucky in I'm gonna love. Give you, I, 
Oh. Oh. I'm going to ask you, the, the Biggle has 12 questions. I'm just going to ask you four. Ask me 12. What are you afraid of? No, I just, afraid I feel of, like. You afraid that I'm luckier than you? <laughs> uh, well, you're married to me, so I feel like it's already clear which one of us is the luckier one. Burn. Tons. <laughs> okay. So I just want you to answer yes or okay. no for, just to keep it simple. Number one, luck plays an important part in everyone's life. Next question. Yes or no? Oh, yes or Oh, outside? Out loud. Yes. These yes. are questions. Yes. 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 Okay. I mean, you guys say I yes. Know I, I literally in... just gave you the simulation All right. Experiment. All right. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. Number two, you often feel like it's your lucky day. No. <laughs> number three, you tend to win games of chance. No. Number four, even the things in life you can't control tend to go your way because you're lucky. <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> so based on your answers, I would say so far... Your perception of yourself is quite unlucky. I don't think that I'm unlucky. Okay. I'm just so, not lucky. So an interesting finding in this research is that people's belief in their luckiness wasn't correlated with self-esteem or optimism. It seems to be its own animal. Mm-hmm. And they found that about 51% of the population think that, or at least in their research, 51% of people think they're lucky, 44% think they're average, and about 5% say they're unlucky. Okay. Your self-assessment of your own luck matters a lot. As psychologist Mia Young found in her research... Thinking you're lucky, just thinking you're lucky, not mm-hmm. necessarily being lucky, makes you take on more challenges and persist longer, which then leads to greater success. Okay, but I want to challenge that, okay. saying that if I think I'm unlucky, that means I have to work twice as hard as everyone else, which means I'm more likely to take chances as That's well. a cool theory, but the research doesn't support it. Well, just because that lady, just because that lady says it. <laughs> she didn't just say it. They did. She didn't research. ask me. Shit. And obviously, in research, the best we can do is just find out what do most people do? How do most people behave? But everyone's very different. And as we've found time and time again, you are a statistical anomaly, Brian Luna. So <laughs> I guarantee she talk didn't talk to any Texans. Might not she might have talked to people on the East Coast. So aside from <laughs> just telling ourselves we're lucky, is there anything we can do to impact our legitimate luck levels? The foremost researcher on this topic is psychologist Richard Wiseman. Wise man. Wiseman. Wiseman. It's very wise. And Wiseman spent his career studying lucky and unlucky people. He also did some research in parapsychology, which I think you'd be really excited uh, about. Yeah. Yeah. We'll we'll talk about that in future episodes. Right. But as it pertains to more you think reality guy, psychology. Do you think Wiseman just did that because he wanted to go to like Vegas and gamble and he'd call it research? Like take all of his grant money and put yeah. it on black? This dude has done so much interesting research. We're going to be talking a lot about him over future episodes. Okay. He's done research on the psychology of magic and illusion. <gasps> He's done research through something he called the Laugh Lab, trying to discover the world's funniest joke. Holy that was shit. him. He studied the psychology of ghosts and hauntings. Come on. Lying and deception. I mean, this guy has a really cool career. Yeah. So he doesn't just like to gamble. Weissman spent a huge portion of his career studying lucky and unlucky people. And I'd love to recreate one of his classic studies on you with your consent, of course. Yep. Okay. So take a look at the document that I sent you over email. Okay. Let me know when you have it ready. All right. Okay. And as soon as you open it, Mm -hmm. let me know when you're ready to go. I'm going to time you as quickly as you can. Count the number of commas that you see and count them out loud. Ready, set, go. Louder, out loud. Um, Four, five... Six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, fifteen. Okay, and did you see the text that said, stop counting commas, you have won $50? No. <laughs> what the shit? 
You told me to count commas. You are unlucky, no, my friend. No, Wiseman is a shifty son of a bitch. <laughs> I'm telling you right now. He, man, he did crawdad on me. Look at that. No, no, no. I don't so, like that. Here's how the original he study went. He turned crawfish and then... I actually made this much harder for you than Weissman would have. So in his study, participants were asked to, first of all, share if they see themselves as lucky or unlucky. You can stop looking at that. I'm not going to give you the $50. You, I, I read it. Nope. I feel like I got misled a little bit because you said, look, you didn't say read the text. That's right. So here's how his study went. And again, you know, I wasn't going to give you a newspaper because we don't exactly have access to newspapers right now. Mm -hmm. You know, I I had to do my best to recreate it. Okay. Here's how he did it. He gave people newspapers and then he said, count how many photos you find in this newspaper. (laughs) First of all, he found that unlucky people took longer, about two minutes. Lucky people took just a few seconds. And the lucky people noticed something very important that the unlucky people did not. There was a large sign that actually said, stop counting, tell the experimenter you've seen this and win 150 pounds. Which is like $250. Man. Now, I did make it harder for you than Wiseman would have because in his experiment, it was an actual big-ass sign. Like, it was a big ad that said it. And the people who saw themselves as unlucky just blew past it. They were paying attention to counting how many photos there are. The people who saw themselves as lucky noticed the sign. That is crazy. So it's true. I don't see myself as lucky. (laughs) Right? I mean, like, like, we were talking about that. And I was like, I don't see myself as lucky. And then here I am falling on my face in front of everybody here. So let's let's talk about this because let's talk about that 50 Weissman, bucks. Weissman, <laughs> you got to be ready for the 50 bucks because Weissman's takeaway from this research is that you can control your luck at least to some degree. Based on his research, he identified four psychological luck principles that result in luckier lives. Mm-hmm. Are you ready to get lucky? Hell yeah. Yeah. Wait. Yeah. <laughs> What are we talking about here? Okay, so here we go. Four principles to change your own luck. Okay. And find that secret little message in the world, in the universe, that says, stop reading. I'm going to find it. I'm going to give you $50. I'm going to find it. So number one is expect good fortune. This is so important. If you're always on the lookout for something good to happen, like winning money, you're more likely to notice good opportunities. Okay. Lucky people or people who perceive themselves as lucky are just on the lookout for more good things. Hmm, They notice the good. Number two, maximize your chance opportunities. Lucky people interact with more individuals. They're essentially more exposed to randomness in their worlds. So right now, this means virtually connect with new people, get involved in new hobbies, put yourself in weird, new, different situations, say yes more. The more you put yourself out there, the more statistically likely you are to bump into a good opportunity, especially if you're on the lookout for it. But what if you're an introvert? I mean, what if it's just not in your nature? Yeah, so it doesn't necessarily have to mean getting into big groups of people. It might just mean saying yes to one-on-one interactions. It might mean learning new things. (laughs) It might mean starting a new hobby. It might mean going somewhere that you've never gone before. The point is you want to expose yourself to difference, to diversity as much as possible. I I do have to say, like, when, uh, when I started... Taking on more things, I've kind of started trying more things and doing a few years ago. I found myself happier and good fortune felt a little bit more... Accessible. Yeah, like it was around the corner and possibility was was more promising than it ever had been right. in the past. I mean, like even when doing stand-up and then doing taking writing classes and doing all that kind of stuff. So it was... Yeah, that's pretty. That's luck pretty doesn't come to us. Luck doesn't come knocking on our door. We mm-hmm. have to leave at least virtually yeah. <laughs> in some way. And especially under quarantine, we have to be even more intentional about getting out in quotation marks. Like, right? We have to expose ourselves to new ideas, to new people, to sure. new perspectives. And that actually changes our chances of luck. 
That's cool. And number three, this is a, an interesting one. Listen to your intuition. He found mm. that luckier people trusted their instincts and they were more present to what they were feeling and what they were thinking. They didn't doubt themselves as much. Mind you, this is different from self-esteem and different from optimism. It's just an orientation toward just going, you know what? This feels like the right thing to do. I'm going to do it. Mm. I'm interested in this. I'm going to pursue it. I like that. And number four, this is a hard one. Mm -hmm. See the good in the bad. What he found is that people who saw themselves as lucky and who had more lucky things happen to them, when bad things happened, they actually would shift into seeing what's good about it. Whether it's, well, here's the silver lining or here's what I can learn from it. So I wonder if we can end on that note. When it comes to COVID-19, there's some obviously very serious, very bad consequences. Absolutely. Lost lives lost livelihoods, mental health at risk for so many of us, but there's also the good. And this is the lesson that I learned and that I've carried with me since I was a little kid, being the beneficiary in many ways of the Chernobyl disaster, because that's why I got to come to the United States. And so for myself, in many ways, my own origin story, if you will, mm -hmm. is, you know, the Chernobyl accident led to the death of around 4,000 people displaced countless others and yet that's why my family got to come to the united states that's why i get to live in one of the wealthiest countries in the world versus living in a third world country that's why i met you that's why we're doing this podcast right chernobyl is why we're doing this podcast yeah. so that yes adds to my survivor's guilt but also adds to this recognition i've always had that nothing is good or bad everything that happens has negative consequences and has positive consequences. We have to acknowledge and respect the negative and we have to recognize the positive. The pain and tragedy of COVID-19 is so real, but what is good about the current situation? I think what's good is that we have a lot more time to like check in on people that maybe we haven't talked to in a long time. Yeah, It's an opportunity to show a little bit more empathy towards one another and to listen, you know, one of the things that I've been struggling with that was a huge revelation to me recently was everyone is kind of like saying horrible things and being horrible to one another. And uh, I had a recent encounter with a neighbor and they said something entirely racist and and it was really hard for me, like all of that negativity, all of that hate. Was this like, is the silver lining that you're talking about? So the silver lining was what I discovered is that everyone is reacting because they don't know how to react. All of that stuff is all coming from fear. And that's one of the things that I'm grateful for is that to be able to see that mm. and to be able to kind of like maybe now do my part to inject some kind of happiness or some positivity in that. Oh, wow. So for you recognizing that that negativity is coming from a place of fear is allowing you to feel empathy. Because Absolutely. It helps helping because it's helping people. me understand, yeah, that, that just how scared everyone is. And when you hear the horrible thing, instead of saying, what a horrible person, just understand that everyone is in over their head right now. Yeah. And we're all in the same boat. And all it takes is a little, hey, I'm here. If you want to talk about any of that, I know you're scared. I know you're alone. I'm here. I'm here. I hope um, that's true. That's beautiful. And I think... This time can teach us to be better listeners, to pause and reflect. There's room for all of it, you know? I love it because, like, in Italy, they were singing out of the windows, right? And and that was great. In New York, someone sang out of the window the other day, and someone was like, hey, shut the beep up! You know, it was like, <laughs> yes, that's New York. That's fear. That's love. That's togetherness. And everyone around started laughing. And maybe and that's, that's the takeaway here, is that you and I can share some thoughts about what we see as the good while acknowledging the bad, but everyone's insight is going to be different. Mm -hmm. 
And that's important. I mean, and I'm also grateful you and I are, be able, are able to do this and reach out. And I feel lucky that you, dear listener, have joined this conversation with us today. And if you want to pass on the luck to someone else, please share this episode. And thank you for listening to Talk, Talk Psych to Me. To me.